I'm not pulling on my driveway. We all know what that means. It's time for the Drive to Work Coronavirus Edition. Okay, so today is all about the design of Crimson Dawn. So I'm going to talk about um, uh, a lot about the vision design, a little bit about after it, but um, I'll probably focus more on the part I did. Okay, so um, the first, let's start at the very beginning. So if you notice, the code name for Midnight Hunt is Golf, and the code name for um, Kamigawa Neon Dynasty is Hockey. Uh, wait a minute. So cause all our, for those that don't know, all our code names of the premier sets, uh, non-core premier sets, uh, go in alphabetical order based on sports right now. Um, so anyway, what, what's going on? So the code name for uh, Crimson Dawn is Clubs. So that should be the first clue that something weird was happening here. So I actually, uh, so I was on Midnight Hunt. I did not lead it. Ethan Fleischer led it, but I was on the team. And the week after that ended, I started up the next team, which I did lead, which was Kamigawa Nian Dynasty. Uh, I actually worked on that. And so I'm in the middle of working on that, doing the vision design for that. Uh, and um, there's a lot of discussion about what they want to do. The So originally when uh, we made Adventures in Forgotten Realm, the Dungeon Dragon set, uh, it was going to originally be a dungeon, I'm sorry, it's going to originally be a core set with a D&D like, flavoring that is just going to be a normal core set but flavor to match you know, D&D. And then over time, it kind of evolved into a much more traditional premiere set. You know, uh, as far as complexity level and new mechanics, that it was a lot closer to a normal premiere set than it was a core set. Um, and that combined with like Jumpstart started doing really well and proved to be a really interesting way to introduce new players and um, Arena had a tutorial that was working well. And anyway, for various different reasons, uh, it was sort of decided that maybe instead of having a fourth set that's the core set, what if we had a fourth set that was a more traditional premiere set? Um, and at the same time, there was a different conversation going on about do we want to have the sets come out a little bit earlier in the year? Because um, the fourth set is, is in um, standard less time. And so there's some discussions about maybe, maybe we want to release a set at a different time than the summer. Um, so all of these forces sort of came together and that there's this idea of what if our fourth set, instead of being a summer core set, was a late fall, um, early winter, um, and once again, I'm using uh, northern hemisphere uh, um, seasons, um, set. Uh, the idea was, well, we could move early, we could move the, the traditional fall set a little, you know, a month earlier maybe, and then two months later, we could, we could do another set. So they sort of came to us and said, um, what do you guys think? Like, we, we think this might be a good idea. And um, then they said, and we're thinking, what if we did it right now? What if we did it in, um, and I'm like, well, we did Midnight Hunt. I'm working on Neon Dynasty. Like, we sort of passed that window. Uh, but we looked into it because, you know, whenever you have a good idea, you want to sort of investigate. And what we discovered was vision design tends to start, I mean, not always, but often we'll start a little bit early. Um we're less tied to anything because we're the beginning. And so sometimes they'll have to start a little earlier than normal. And it turned out there was a window where if I stopped working on Neon Dynasty and started working on um, Crimson Vow, 
we had enough time for a traditional vision design. We didn't have time for exploratory design, but we would have time for a full vision design. Um, and so uh, we all sort of talked it over and said, okay, let's do this. Um, I ended up, I'm, normally I sort of, um, I'll consult with various people about who wants to lead whatever vision set. Um, and it was kind of decided that like, this didn't have exploratory, so it was, it was, it was going to be a little a little rougher than the average uh, design just because it was a little less lead-in. Um, and it made sense for me to lead it. So I, I led this at. Um, okay, so... Uh, oh, also, because, it, because we had no exploratory uh, vision design and no exploratory world-building, it was pretty clear that it couldn't be a brand-new world. We just didn't have the, the resources to do that. That like we were... I mean, the, the missing time, we, what we were missing kind of prevented us from inventing something brand new. Um, and so the logical thing was, well, Midnight Hunt was on Innistrad. Innistrad is a very popular set, probably um, number two or three overall, I believe, of, of worlds. So, I mean, it's a very popular world. Uh, you know, it's, it's using uh, the genre of horror, which there's a lot of, there's, there's a lot of material. Um, Okay, if we're going to do a second set right after an Innistrad set, let's just do a second Innistrad set. Um, we'd actually been talking about how we, we wanted, um, we hadn't really done two worlds on the uh, two sets consecutively on the same world for a while since Ravnica and War of the Spark. Um, so anyway, it just kind of made logical sense to make it Innistrad. Um, so when I started on my first day of doing vision design, all we knew was it's the second set in Innistrad. That's really all we knew. Um, so I gathered my team. Uh, so my vision design team was myself, Andrew Veen, Doug Beyer, Ari Mee, and Daniel Holt. Um, anyway, so the first thing I did with my team is I said, okay, well, let's look at Midnight Hunt. How are we going to give an identity to this set? Like, we have two sets in a row that are on the same place. A lot of times, where you are can be a definitional thing. Like, if you're only, if it's the one set on that world, the world very much can define what it is. But once you have two sets on the same world, Okay, how do we separate them? How do we give them their own identity? Um, and so what we decided was, I looked at Midnight Hunt and I said, you know what? It, it has a pretty strong werewolf theme. Um, the main mechanic in the set was um, Daybound Nightbound, which is a riff on the werewolf mechanic. We had pushed werewolves into a third color and it splashed them in a fourth and fifth color. Um, the story we had planned was very werewolf-centric. Um, Arlen, who's the werewolf, um, planeswalker was in the set. Like it really had a werewolf theme to it. So I said, okay, well, what if we play up that is the werewolf set and we play up the Crimson Vow as a, a different creature type. So obviously on Innistrad, um, the main creature types that we normally play around with are, uh, humans, spirits, vampires, werewolves, and zombies. Obviously, werewolves had been sort of the thematic focus of Midnight Hunt. Um, okay, we needed to pick a different one for Crimson Vow. Okay, the first thing we eliminated was humans because every world has humans. I mean, there's nothing... Humans didn't feel as distinct to the world of Innistrad. I mean, just because humans are everywhere. So we decided we, we decided we probably want another you know, monster and not humans. So we, we took humans out. Next, um, while ghosts make a lot of sense, spirits make a lot of sense on Innistrad... Um, we felt that both zombies and um, vampires had a little more sort of pop culture cachet, if you will. Um, and so uh, 
I made the call to get rid of spirits and said, okay, we're going to either do vampires or we're going to do zombies. We're going to do one of these two. Hold on a second. I'm going to take a drink. I have a cold if you can't tell from listening to me. Okay. So what happened next was we had two meetings. Um, the first meeting was vampire meeting. or zombie. I, I don't know what order we went into, but let's say it was vampire meeting. And I said, okay, let's talk about everything vampire. What mechanics would we bring back if it was a vampire set? What, what themes could we do? What new mechanics could we do? We, we explored, if it was a vampire set, what would a vampire set let us do? And we, we talked about all the tropes of vampires, and we just, we just wrote everything that we could on the board. Like, okay, if it's a vampire set, what's all the coolness of vampires? Then the next meeting, we said, okay, what makes zombies cool? What are the cool things about zombies? What mechanics would come back that are zombie mechanics? Um, what are cool zombie tropes? Like, what could we do that would be fun for zombies? And so in each of these two meetings, we made a giant list. Uh, and the takeaway from those two meetings were we could make a really cool vampire set or we could make a really cool zombie set. Um, so I then talked to Doug Beyer. Um, Doug, uh, so Doug was on the vision design team, but also Doug ran um, the world building team. And I had said to him, could you go to your team and say, hey, vampires or, or, or zombies, which one, which one you, would you guys prefer? Um, and so they did something interesting to what we did, and they sort of, okay, what if it's a vampire set? What if it's a zombie set? And so he came back and said, oh, well, my team is really excited by this idea of a vampire wedding. And I was like, vampire wedding? Okay, I guess we're doing vampires. And, uh, you know, we, I mean, basically it's like we were split. In, you know, uh, Vision Design was split. We had good ideas for both. Creative has slight leaning toward vampires. Or more than slight, they they want to do vampires. So like, okay, let's do vampires. Uh, and a vampire wedding sounded really cool, so we were on board. Okay, so um, the first mechanic we did was the vampire mechanic. Um, we obviously had had a whole day of brainstorming, uh, and the one idea that really stood out that I was very excited by was the idea of blood tokens. So an original Innistrad. Um, in uh, Shadow, not original Innistrad, the second visit, Shadows of Innistrad, uh, there was a there was like a, a mystery theme, and we were trying to sort of capture the idea of investigation because Jace is kind of like a detective and he's investigating. Um, yeah, had a cool trench coat. You saw that. Anyway, um, so we ended up coming up with this mechanic called investigate. Uh, originally, it was like, well, what if it investigate lets you draw cards? And we're like, well. It just, we can't do that much of it if, if it's too easy to draw cards. So we ended up coming up with the idea of clues. And what clues was is, oh, it's an artifact that you have to then still put mana into it to get the card. So it wasn't that it gave you a card. It sort of let you, at a discount price, basically, buy a card for two mana. Um, anyway, we made clues. And uh, we prior to clues, by the way, Magic had made a lot of creature tokens, but we really hadn't made many artifact tokens. In fact, the only ones I think that existed were like um, like copies, like we made artifact copies, tokens that were copies of artifacts. But I don't think we had made, I mean, or if we did, it was only one or two. There, there weren't really much of artifact tokens. And what Clue said to us is, hey, just like there are cool creature tokens, you could do a cool artifact token that's not a creature um, and it could have some utility. So, for example, Clues drew you a card. Um, so, anyway, flash forward, I don't know, a year or two later, we're doing Ixalan. 
and we say, okay, let's let's take that same basic premise and can we use an artifact token? And we made treasure. And treasure was like, okay, well, instead of giving you the resource of cards, it gives you the resource of um, a mana. Then flash forward a little more, we're in Throne of Eldraine. And it just becomes clear that food is just thematically a big deal uh, in fairy tales. And so they ended up making food tokens, which plays with the resource of life. Um, and anyway, we really... We really realized the value of the artifact tokens. That it was a, it was both flavorful and it was mechanically very interesting. Um, and then not only could you use them as their like what they were normally used for, but you could use them as a resource. So, for example, in Throne of Eldraine, we had things that could eat the food. You know, the the wolf can eat the food and get bigger. So, like. Um, the food had sort of a duality to it, that it could get you life if you needed it, but it also could be this other resource. So recognizing all that, uh, we were enamored with the idea of what of blood was an artifact token um, in, in, in the vein of a, a clue or treasure or um, food. And I think the reason we got there was when I sort of said, what do you associate with vampires? Really high on the list was blood. They suck your blood. That's what vampires do. That's what vampires are after, you know. And the idea of a blood token seemed really cool. Now, we didn't know what it did. Basically, what we said is, we're going to have a blood token. It's going to do something. And then vampires will eat, you know, will eat the blood, right? The vampire, you can give blood to your vampires to make them stronger. And like, okay, that seemed like a good recipe. Um, but that meant, okay, well, what, what are blood counters doing? Um... Now, we had learned from Clues that you have to be careful how much value you give. One of the problems we had run with, with Clues was uh, getting a card is a pretty big deal. So you have to do a lot to give up the Clue token because what you're giving up in exchange is a card, which is a pretty big deal. Um, so we wanted to make sure that it was something that was a little bit smaller of an effect. We could charge you less for it, but a smaller of an effect um, for a couple reasons. One, we wanted to be able to feed them to vampires. And two... If it's a smaller effect, we could give you more blood. Like, if it's a big effect, all you'd ever get is a single blood. But if it's a smaller effect, we could, we have a little, we could increment a little more and be able to give you, um, you we could give you more um, nuance and have more knobs and more, you know, like, it would allow us to sort of have a little bit more finesse, finesse in the design. Okay, so the first thing we tried was plus one, plus one counters. We're like, okay. Maybe blood makes you stronger. And if you feed that uh, to a creature, you, know, you could use it to make a creature bigger or you could feed it to your vampires. The problem we ran into, was there were a couple problems. One was um, that it was making the vampires play like werewolves. The werewolves are all about sort of growing bigger with time. And so it, it was making the vampires and the werewolves play a little too similarly. Um, also, we wanted to feed it to the vampires. But making a vampire permanently plus one, plus one, it's pretty good. And so you just were not inclined to feed the blood to the vampires. It was kind of too big of an effect. Um, and then there was, um, it ended up being like, uh, it added a complication to, to um, combat if you could do it at instant speed. So it required us to do it at sorcery speed. Anyway, there was a whole bunch of different issues that just sort of said, ah, plus one, plus one counter is not working. Okay, so I said, let's go smaller. How about scry one? Um, and the idea there is, 
there's a lot of um, blood magic, blood omens, where you like use blood to scry the future. If you get into into the 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 horror genre, um, okay. What if you do scry? What if you do blood and you're seeing the future? Um, so we had the reverse problem in that scry one wasn't quite big enough. Um, that you were sort of never using to scry one. You were always kind of saving for your vampires. We wanted a mix of things. Um, the other problem we found was one of the things we wanted this token to do is smooth the draws in some way. And you know, we, we wanted to like, we wanted to help the, the larger system and scry wasn't quite doing that. Um, now, while we, were try- while we were trying scry, we also did try surveil. Um, so surveil is like scry, but instead of the card, if you don't take the card, or sorry, if you don't leave the card on top of a library, uh, scry goes to the bottom of the library, surveil goes to the graveyard. Um, we kind of liked, the thing we liked about Surveil is there's graveyard themes. It's an Innistrad set. You have a lot of graveyard themes. And so that was kind of cool. Um, but once again, Surveil, like Scry, which just wasn't big enough. Um, we did, by the way, at one point, uh, I actually did, a lot of what I'm talking about, I talk in my article, but I'm going hopefully in more detail here. Um, we did at one point try the opponent losing life. Uh, it, just, it didn't do any smoothing and it made you stockpile the blood um, so that your opponent sort of had to assume they were at a certain life total. Uh, and so it, it was just causing weird tensions in a way that wasn't fun. Anyway, uh, at some point we say, okay, one of the cool things, like well, what is the resource we want? And we like the idea of cards getting into the graveyard. Um, we like the idea that, you know, cards mattered in the graveyard because um, it's Innistrad. And so, was there a way for this mechanic to get cards to the graveyard? Um, and so that's what we said. Okay, we know that clues are card drawing, but what if we did either looting or rummaging? Looting is draw a card, discard a card. Rummaging is discard a card, draw a card. Um, looting is normally done in blue. Uh, rummaging is normally done in red. Um, and in the end, I think we, we decided to go with the rummaging partly because vampires were black-red. Uh, and so like they weren't blue, they were more red. Uh, and it had a little more of a wilder feel to it. Um, oh, so one of the questions, I'll just answer this because this comes up on my blog a lot. Um, once we decided that, well, let me finish blood and then I'll talk about why, why there's no madness instead. I'll talk about that in a second. Um, anyway, so we decided that we would do blood be rummage. So you would pay mana, discard a card, then draw a card. Uh, we ended up making it cost one because if it cost two, it just felt like a worse clue. Like, it felt like a clue where, you, you know, you... Like, clue just lets you draw a card. Here, you have to discard to draw a card. So, one is like, okay, well, it's better value for mana than a clue because you get it for one, but it's card, more card utility than card advantage, obviously. Um, and then we tried it, and it played really well. Uh, and it stuck, and I know they fiddled the stuff in set design, but it never really... It just... It was the right thing to do. Um, I, I do know one of the problems we, were, we always struggled with was... One of the nice things about clues and about treasure and food is how strongly the effect just nails what it is. Like food, it gains you life. You eat, you get, you know. And one of the things we realized about blood is we could find things that lean in a direction, but it's just not like blood has this clear, obvious thing that blood does. And so there wasn't a clean mechanic that just felt like blood. And so we ended up going with something that like, look, it doesn't feel not like blood. 
you know, if you want to think like it energizes you or your blood opening or whatever you want to think like, uh, we felt like it could make sense. And the flavor of things giving you blood was super flavorful. And the flavor of you using blood on vampires was super flavorful. Like, okay, there's so much good flavor here that, you know, we'll absorb that the fact that blood's ability is more opaque than exactly what blood would do, but I don't even know exactly what blood would do. So, um, real quickly, uh, once we decided we're doing rummaging, a lot of people said, oh, well, vampires in um, Shadows of Innistrad had madness, and madness goes really well with rummaging. So did you ever think of bringing madness in? Uh, we didn't, but here's why. Um, we we only wanted to do one mechanic per sort of tribe, if you will, per, per creature type that matters. And um, we didn't... So blood tokens were going to be what we were doing with the vampires. So we just didn't have space for a second mechanic. But we did know that if you're building a deck, you get to build your deck with Shadows Over Innistrad. So like we knew that blood on the vampires would play nicely with madness on vampires. So while we weren't doing it in this limited environment, we knew constructed magic would have that synergy. So we were aware of this energy. Okay, so that was the vampires. Next up, the zombies. So one of the cool things we'd come up with while we were brainstorming was we wanted to find ways to let you make a, a, a host of zombies and then um, overrun them with a, with a horde of zombies. That's super flavorful. The problem was that when you make zombie tokens, which is the easiest way to make creatures, it tends to gum up the board. Um, and so we came up with a solution of what ended up being called decayed. So the idea was it was a token, it couldn't block, and when it dealt damage, it went away. So it was like kind of a one-shot uh, token creature. Um, and we played with it, and it played really interestingly, and we just sort of fell in love with it. I, I, I was a huge fan, I'm still a huge fan of Decayed. Um, so anyway, we put it in the set, and then in set design, uh, I think Eric was working on um, uh, Midnight Hunt, and Anyway, he realized that if they swapped some stuff around, it would make both. It would help both sets, and so um, decayed got taken from Midnight Hunt. What that means in set design is uh, set design had to figure out what to do for the zombies. Um, so it turns out that to separate the two sets, um, Midnight Hunt. Uh, when we first made Innistrad, we realized that there were two different kinds of zombies. One was kind of the necromancy zombie. It's sort of something raised from the dead through magic. And the second was kind of a science zombie, sort of Frankenstein. Like a, somebody made it out of pieces. Um, and we realized that we needed to have two colors, that we'd make black the sort of necro necromatic zombies, and we'd make blue the sort of um, Frankenstein, you know, science zombies. Um, so when we made the first set, we leaned, at Midnight Hunt, we leaned a little more on the necromatic zombies. And so the second set, we leave a little more on the scobs or the, the science zombies. That's also why, by the way, uh, um, Gisa and Garolf. Gisa is a necromancer. She's in the first set. Garolf is a, uh, what do they call people that make scobs, but a scob maker. He's in the second set. Anyway, so um, they wanted to find a mechanic that would play nicely with graveyard interactions. Uh, and they looked at new mechanics, but in the end... There was an old mechanic, Exploit, uh, the mechanic for uh, Silimgar in Dragons of Turkir, the blue-black uh, faction. 
And so that just seemed like a clean, easy fit. It played nice with other stuff in the set. It plays nicely with blood. And so that became the zombie mechanic. Uh, interestingly, the uh, mechanic for the spirits actually was designed not in Midnight Hunt. I'm sorry, not in Crimson Vow, but in Midnight Hunt. Um, we liked the we liked the flavor of haunt from Guild Pact, but there were a lot of mechanical muckiness about it. Um, so we were trying to use double face card technology to kind of mimic haunt. And the idea was it's a spirit on the front, and when it dies, it turns into an aura that does the same thing the spirit did that attaches to a creature. So you could have a flying spirit that dies and gives something flying. Um, and the double face cards get, did a, a nice clean way of doing that because it's the creature, but when it dies, it becomes the um, the aura that, that you know. And you could make now it's just an aura. So having two cards, you know, two faces, really made it uh, flavorful and easy to do. Anyway, that mechanic gets taken to um, Midnight Hunt. Uh, they decide that. Um, they want to have a cost on it. Once they decide they want to have a cost on it, they realize that there's a different version where you could do creature that's not a spirit, and when it dies, now you can make a spirit out of it. And once they realize that, they're like, oh, well, we probably want to do the creature creature first and do the creature or a second. So that got passed off to us in Crimson Vow. So um, even though we made it in Midnight Hunt, so we, we made Decayed in Crimson Vow, and that ended up in Midnight Hunt. We made uh, the Decayed version that shows up in or a, a, a similar version in Midnight Hunt, it showed up in Crimson Bow. Um, next, uh, the werewolves. We did talk about having a new werewolf mechanic, but we're like, look, the werewolves just aren't going to play well together if they don't work the same. And so we ended up keeping Daybound, Nightbound. Um, we did have some fun in making a lot of cool individual werewolf designs. So while the werewolves don't get a new mechanic, we did spend extra energy in just trying to make some really cool individual werewolf designs. Um, so those are there. Uh, then we get to the humans. So um, in Kanzatarkir, um, or not Kanzatarkir, sorry, in Guilds of Ravnica, we had made a Boros mechanic called Mentor, that when you attack with a smaller creature, you can put a plus one, plus one counter on it. Um, Eric Lauer uh, kept Mentor in, but always sort of felt like it was, it was a little bit off. And the way he thought it should work is the creature puts the counter on itself if it's with a larger creature. So kind of like Mentor, except it goes on the Mentoree rather than Mentor. And we ended up calling it, I think, Training. Um, but anyway, I think Erica suggested that for the humans. We liked it, and so that went in for the humans. Um, the final mechanic in the set, as far as named mechanics, um, I mean, obviously tra transforms in the set because it's, it's in a stride. Um, but the final mechanic... Um, was Cleave. Uh, so Cleave... Oh, Training was the name. Did I say Training? Training was the name of the human mechanic. Uh, I might have... Anyway, it's Training. Uh, okay, so cl the way Cleave came about was... Um, and I have to be careful in this story because it involves stuff I haven't... It's not public yet. So we were working on exploratory design for Streets of New Capenna, and Ari Nee uh, came up with a mechanic... Uh, that may or may not have been influenced by something in the Great Designer Search. Uh, it got pointed out that, uh, was it Ryan? Somebody in the Great Designer Search had done something Cleave-ish. Maybe that inspired Ari. I'm not 100% sure. But Ari came up with Cleave in Streets of New Capenna in Exploratory. Then in Vision, uh, when we were working on stuff in Vision, 
we, we, like, what often happens in vision is you pull out stuff that you'd made in exploratory and Ari pitched it uh, to be used in Streets of Nukempenna. Um, it didn't really fit there for reasons I, I can get into when I, we make Streets of Nukempenna, or Streets of Nukempenna gets released. I guess we've made it. Um, but anyway, so then Mark Gottlieb is in a meeting. He, Mark Gottlieb was running Streets of Nukempenna vision design, but he was on the um, set design team for Crimson Vow. And they were looking for a spell mechanic because Daybound, Nightbound, and um, Exploit, and to a certain extent, Blood Tokens, and Training, um, and Disturb, all went on creatures. Um, I mean, I guess Blood Counters was the one exception. But other than that, four of the five mechanics only went on creatures. And so um, they needed something for their spells. And so while they were looking... Uh, Mark Gottlieb said, well, here's a cool mechanic that we looked at for Streets of New Capenna. We didn't really need a Streets of New Capenna. Maybe you could use it here. And the idea behind it was it's a mechanic where, it's a kicker-like mechanic, where if you spend extra mana, you get a remove text. You cleave the text. Uh, you uh, remove text from the rules text, and the card has a different function because you remove some of the text. Um, it was very clever and definitely sort of, you know, a, a little quirkier of a mechanic. Uh, and it ended up just sort of fitting really well uh, in that space. I think I think that's all the. Um, but anyway, I think that's all the mechanics. So, um, oh, the other big thing that happened I, sh- I should mention is we knew very early on that it was going to be a vampire wedding. So not only were we doing a lot of top down vampire tropes, and you know we we spent a lot of time saying what have we done, what haven't we done, what's still there, what's the cool stuff. Uh, and figuring out all the sort of vampire tropes that existed, um, we also realized that we had wedding tropes. And then not only are there, like, real live, this is what happens in weddings, but also, because weddings are such a big part of the human experience, it shows up all the time in movies, in TV shows, in, you know, in pop culture. And so there's a lot of sort of um, entertainment tropes about it, too. Uh, And so... That's another big thing is we really spent a lot of time working on trying to get top-down vampires, top-down wedding. Um, the set design ended up playing up a theme of cards that work well together. So it's the idea that these two creatures are better together. So there's, there's that theme that got woven in. Um, but anyway, there was a lot of cool stuff woven into the set. And uh, hopefully this talk it gave you some insight in what we did. Um, I also have a podcast with... Um, Chris Mooney talking about the set design and discussing a lot of individual cards that Chris uh, had made. And, and if you want to hear more about that, uh, that, that, that's another podcast for you to listen to. Anyway, guys, but uh, I'm at my desk. So we all know what that means. This is the end of my drive to work. So instead of talking magic, it's time for me to be making magic. Hope you guys enjoyed hearing all about Crimson Vow. Uh, and I'll see you next time. Bye-bye.